Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, As Zach said, my name's Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, it's good to be with you today. Uh, Many of you, if uh, you were here last week, you may have been expecting Pastor James today. Uh, He's still recovering from being sick, so we appreciate your your prayers for him. Um, We would have been picking uh, back up again in our journey through the book of Romans, but I wanted to this morning... um, We'll be hopefully, Lord willing, if Pastor James is better next week, we'll be picking back up in Romans then. But I wanted to this morning have a, a brief departure and take a look at another letter written by Paul uh, to a different church. That is the church in Ephesus. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesus. Um, and I chose the passage today because I think it correlates well with where we've been on Tuesday nights, as Zeke mentioned, and where we've been in Romans uh, and left off in Romans last week. I thought that it would really help kind of build on where we've been talking about. Um, as we've learned on Tuesday nights, we've, we really find ourselves today as Christians, and let's be honest, particularly here in the area in which we live, we find ourselves in the midst of a spiritual battle. There's, there's really a battle that is taking place. Whether we want to be in this battle or not, here we are, right? Um, and so last week in Romans, we learned that um, not only on Tuesday nights that we're in a spiritual battle, but last week in Romans, we learned that time is, is getting late. We don't, we don't know uh, when Jesus will return, but we can look in, at our culture and know that our culture is sinking fast. Churches are sinking fast, uh, and some Christians are sinking fast. So in Romans last week, we learned that it's time to wake up. Right, it's time to get out of our slumber. Well, today I want us to see yet another reason for us to wake up. Specifically, it's because of this cosmic spiritual battle uh, between good and evil that we find ourselves in. It's it's a battle in the hearts and minds and for the hearts and minds of people. So I want us to not only be awake, but specifically be awake in, with a mindset that recognizes the time recognizes the season that we're in, this battlefront on which we find ourselves. I remember an article I read one time that was written by a 14-year veteran of the Navy SEALs, and he describes like a color code system that would indicate the level of threat and awareness that the SEAL should be at, combat readiness. And each stage has a parallel. This is an article in a like a Christian youth minister's magazine Uh, And so he gave a spiritual parallel with each one. And he said, condition white was when the warrior is relaxed and daydreaming, unaware of his surroundings. And he says, as a disciple of Jesus in this condition, a disciple of Jesus would be easy prey for Satan, the very real enemy. He described condition yellow as when the warrior is mentally alert, but physically relaxed. And he said, a disciple of Jesus at this level may sense trouble coming, but isn't ready really to confront that trouble or do anything about it. Condition orange is where the Navy SEAL is physically prepared, mentally alert, and ready to fight as a disciple of Jesus. At this stage, he has on the full armor of God, but in both situations, the battle is not going on yet. They're ready, the battle isn't going on yet. And he describes condition red 
As in condition orange, the warrior's ready, but now it's a good thing he's ready because the battle is raging. It's condition red. And the Navy SEAL said that the difference between a SEAL who was ready at the right time when the battle was raging usually boiled down to experience. Right, so if the SEAL had seen combat, had been through a few things, they're more likely to recognize what's going on. They get, they get the lay of the land a little, a little easier, a little quicker. They recognize the movements of the enemy, and thus they respond accordingly and in a timely manner. And through experience, they stay sharp on the battle plan. They know if they don't know the, sort of the rules of engagement, where they are, the plan that's been laid out for them, then that's, they're not, not, not going to be very successful if they don't employ the right tactics. And likewise, the battle-seasoned Christian, I would say, follower of Jesus, can quickly know what to do, when to do it in a spiritual war if we've experienced a few things, right? If we've seen a few things in our lives, we recognize the work and the movement of the enemy. And, I, and, and we're acquainted with, with the, the field manual, right? Uh, we, we, we know the rules of engagement. We know the, the battle plan. Now, for some of you, this wartime sort of military, Navy SEAL kind of language may be uncomfortable um, because as followers of Jesus, we don't wage war like the war the world wages war, um, and some other religious groups do. That's indeed true. We do not. We battle against spiritual forces, right, in this arena of hearts and minds for the souls of human beings. That's the battle that we're involved in. So today, I want us to talk to you, I want to talk to you first about living well in a time of war. Ephesians 6. If you turn to Ephesians, we're going to be in 6. And I want us to see as we get to our passage here that this warrior-type language is actually really appropriate, A, because we find ourselves in a battle, B, because this is the language that Paul uses here. If you have a church background, um, you probably are familiar with this passage, but I want you to try to see it today with fresh eyes. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 10 through 24 together. Can we stand? Will that be okay? Stand for the reading of the Word of God. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, 
and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You can be seated. Thank you. So Paul is walking through here in this passage how we can live well, even in a very real time of war. Well, the first thing I want you to see is, the first, well, I see the first thing Paul talking about is the warrior's mindset. If you're following along in your weekly, um, that would be the first thing to write down, the warrior's mindset. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You could underline <laughs> in the Lord, right, in His might um, there. So the mindset we we need to have is not one of apathy or one of indifference, but sadly, apathy and indifference may describe you. When it comes to that, we're we're in a spiritual war. Maybe you don't realize it, but if you do realize it, you're like, that man, somebody else can fight that thing, or it's not that serious. We have apathy. We have indifference. And... um, we, we want to be entertained more than we want to be challenged. You know, we want to be kind of, kind of coddled. If you know anything about war, uh, being coddled and entertained and unchallenged leads to defeat, doesn't it, for the soldier? Plain, plain and simple. With that mindset, a mindset that wants to just uh, maximize our pleasure and minimize our pain, defeat uh, comes. Casualties are high in that scenario. So if we're to fight well at a time of war, if we're to live well, I want you to notice how we're supposed to be strong. Not just that we're supposed to be strong. What does Paul say? The strength that we are to have within us as Christians is strength that is only found in and through Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in His might. Now, it's actually great news that we can't be strong on our own. Um, because even the strongest of us are weak. You realize that? Have you ever lost a battle to sin? Let's just be honest. Have you, have you personally ever lost a battle to sin? I, I have. Me and Nancy. We're, we're the only ones. And uh, Nancy and I have lost battles to sin. Ha- have you lost a battle to sin? Have you lost a battle to discouragement? Have you lost the battle to the temptation to just conform to how the world would have you live or the opinions that they would have you hold. Just to be honest, I've lost all these battles before, right? So the, the proof is, is kind of in, in the pudding. I, I'm, I'm weak. But the great news is that the power of God is truly infinite. So if I'm strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, then I have a fighting chance because God wins. God does not lose, does he? Like ever, it's impossible for him to lose. Earlier in this letter, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 20. He says, now to him who is able right, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, pause. Wait a minute. He says that God is able to do more abundantly than I can even think to do. Look at the second part of that. According to the power that is at work within us, God's power, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he has made you new, the power of God is at work in you. 
Have you ever th- just sat and thought about that? Then why do you fail so much? Why do I fail so much? If the power of God is at work in me and the power of God is at work in you, it's because I'm not, uh, I'm not warring in the power of his strength and his might. I'm warring in the power of my mind. That, that's why we lose. That's why we lose battles. Um, this is uh, the same power that created the universe, do you realize? <laughs> In fact, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule. We just sang about that, right? and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. That follower of Jesus is the power that we have access to. You may forget that in your own battle over sin, your own battle over uh, uh, anxious thoughts or depression or discouragement or conformity to the world. You may forget that you have access to the power of God. And another letter uh, Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians, Paul describes the power of God this way, and it's reminiscent from our study that we've been going through on Tuesday nights. Colossians chapter 1, he says this, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, again, this is from uh, last week in uh, Romans as well, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So you may have found out in in your own life, if we ignore the battle or are maybe not aware of the battle that we're facing, We go into it blindly. Sometimes we go into it willfully blind. Um, Again, if we just seek to minimize our pain and maximize our pleasure, we don't grow in the strength of the Lord. Um, Again, it's from like last week's message from Romans. We walk around in a stupor, right? Our alarm clock has gone off, but we hit the snooze button, right? Um, So what Paul is calling us to today is from Condition White, snooze button, Christians, to condition red. There really is a really real battle going on. Um, So we need to be aware of it. We can't be inactive. We've got to be willing to wake up and do something about it. So have you not seen the results of of a battle being waged in your own life? Maybe maybe you're not aware that there's a spiritual uh, war going on. Let Let me just ask you some questions. Do you see people around you or maybe, maybe you find this to be true of yourself, who are easily deceived? Do you see people who make bad decision after bad decision in life and can't find out why or how to break the pattern? Do you see things like broken relationships, ingrained patterns of unrepentant sin, and lives seemingly powerless to get out of the cycle of sin? Do you see this in yourself or in people around you? Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a spiritual battle. You realize this is a, this is a war. This is a very real war. It's, it's more real than bombs and tanks. This is, this is a battle for souls, 
And that's what we're dealing with. And as, as one of your pastors, as your friend, as a fellow brother in Christ, and because I love you, I'm telling you, many of us are losing this battle. So I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to wake us up this morning. Uh, and I believe that, that God is trying to wake us up through His Word. Here's great news, though. We don't have to be casualties. We don't have to be spiritual statistics of Christians who see their, their uh, faith shipwrecked. That doesn't have to be us. We can be victorious and live a victorious life because God offers us His power. That's what we just learned. He will fight for us. Um, so you might be saying, well, yeah, I want to I, I live a victorious life. I don't want to look like a spiritual statistic. I do want to overcome sin. I want to overcome these things in my life. How do I do it? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. Uh, maybe you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? This morning, Paul has given us some instruction. He takes the common elements of a battle kit from a Roman soldier, and he gives them spiritual applications. Again, if, you're, if you have a church background, you've probably heard a message on this, but James and I were talking about it this week. We've been, uh, how, how, how long has Reach Life been around now? Like five years? We've never been through the book of Ephesians. So, um, so I thought this would be a good time this morning. We've seen that since we are at war, we've got to have a warrior's mindset. Now I want you to look at the warrior's weapons if you're following along in your weekly Paul says that we have to be equipped with God's armor and weaponry. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. That term, whole armor, in the original Greek that Paul wrote it in there is panoplia. It's like, uh, it, it means the full equipment of a well, uh, heavily armored foot soldier. And Paul's using an analogy that he would have been very familiar with. We know that he was a Roman citizen. We know that uh, the culture all around him was dominated by Rome, and Rome was a very militaristic culture. And so that type of imagery was, was all around the people. Um, they would have been very familiar with it. And sometimes we think, um, as Westerners, we might think of full armor as like a medieval knight, and he's got like all the, the stuff, and he's clanking around, and he, can, he could barely move. And, but that's not, that's not what's uh, being talked about here. This panoply of, of a Roman soldier included the full equipment, again, full equipment, of a heavily armored foot soldier. So besides his defensive gear, he has offensive weapons as well. And we're just going to walk through here. Paul tells us why in verses 11 and 12. Look again. Put on the whole armor of God that... It could be so that, or because, or if you want to, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So what he's telling us here, again, is that there's a very real cosmic battle going on. We wrestle against like spiritual entities, beings, very real spiritual forces. And if we want to survive, let alone thrive and live well, we've got to be fully prepared, dressed with all of our battle gear, offensive and defensive weapons. Um, now, you may be, uh, I just want to make an aside here, not in my notes, but um, you may be here today, may be skeptical that you know, Terry, you're talking about like spiritual beings. You think we live in like Stranger Things? Or like, well, kinda. Uh, we we live in in a world that is um, both physical and spiritual. Do you realize this? This is the worldview of Jesus. 
Jesus made it very clear that there are very real evil beings that have declared you to be their enemy. This is what Jesus believed. This is how Jesus lives, lived his life on, on the earth. Um, and um, I, I would encourage you to believe what Jesus says, that these evil entities and the evil entity, evil entity, the enemy, has declared the people of God, his enemies, the church of Jesus. That's why Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. It's because there's a battle, right? And he's declared you individually as a follower of Jesus to be his enemies. Well, if, if we're to stand firm, we've got to be equipped for the battle. So to make sure we get it, Paul repeats himself in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Well, I hope we can see that we live in an evil day. Did you know that? We can see it, right? Like if we, if we have eyes to see, it should be, should be pretty clear. We live in an evil day. And Paul says, this is great news, we actually can stand. We actually don't have to fall. We don't have to be taken captive, but it's going to take certain things. There's certain play, things we're going to have to have in place. So let's look at the battle gear that we're going to need. This is, they're not in your weekly, but I would encourage you to take a few notes here. Paul starts by telling us to fasten on the belt of truth. Sounds really weird. Sounds like something Wonder Woman had, right? Like the, the truth lasso thing she put around people. That's not it. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the belt of truth. Well, a normal citizen in Paul's day obviously didn't walk around in battle gear, right? Um, they wore robes. And so a foot soldier might have had a robe too. And that's not exactly great for moving around during a battle. Could you imagine like having on like your winter bathrobe or whatever? I don't know if you guys have something like that, but. Imagine having a big robe on, and then now you got to fight. Not very good. So what they would do is they would gather up the folds of the robe, put on a big, thick belt to keep those things above their knees, and then they could fight. They're more mobile. They can move around. They have more maneuverability. And so when it was time to go into battle, that's what the soldiers would do. They would put that heavy belt around and get ready to move. And Paul, this is interesting here, what he says makes it possible to move is truth. That's odd, isn't it? What makes it possible to move is truth. And Bible commentators have interpreted this in a couple of different ways. Some say that it's the truth of sound and understood theology that allows us to accurately assess the situation and then move into action. Others would say that it refers to the truth in the sense of living the truth, right? Righteous living the person who is involved in spiritual warfare can't be weighed down by his own sinfulness, right? If you're weighed down by your own sinfulness, you don't move around in war very well. It's like someone tried to run through a battlefield with a robe around his ankles. It doesn't work. And I, my, my reading of this, I think both apply. I think both apply. Uh, one without the other it has greatly diminished effects particularly when the chips of life are down, when the chips of war are down. We've got to have sound theology to understand what's going on and then respond accordingly. We've been talking about that on Tuesday nights. And we've got to keep our lives clean so we're not bogged down in our own sin. How many of you have seen a very gifted Christian that you know, follower of Jesus? I mean, this person could, could have such an impact for the kingdom of God, but they are just buried and can't get over 
XYZ sin in their life. And you see potential in them. Or maybe you see potential in yourself and you look in the mirror like, man, I'm just bogged down with my, with my sin. If I could get over this, if I can get victory over this, I could make progress. So we have to know the truth and we have to live according to the truth. Uh, so Paul says this is the first thing we have to, to kind of reach for in battles, the truth. It's interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't reach for a weapon first, does he? He reaches for the truth. So Paul then tells us that we need to have a breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate of righteousness there in verse 14. Now, you're probably familiar that a breastplate is designed to protect the vital organs. Why do they call them vital organs? You need them to live, right? Like if they get injured, you're going to die. Right, so they—they're they, vital organs, right? So any kind of arrows or swords or blunt instruments could could take you out, um, if without a proper breastplate on, um, you're, you're going to die without these things. And it's interesting. Paul says that what we need to protect the most valuable areas of our lives and in our souls is righteousness. Isn't that bizarre? I think this ties to the to the belt of truth in some ways, doesn't it? We need righteousness. Again, let's just be honest. We see casualties in the lives of Christians time and time again because they have not put on or kept on the breastplate of righteousness. When believers are living in unrepentant sin, then we become vulnerable to false teaching. Again, we talked about this on Tuesday nights. We become vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. We become vulnerable to the lies we tell ourselves to justify our unrepentant sin, do we not? Um, we, if, if, if there's a particular sin we want to hold on to, we can begin changing our doctrine to have it accommodate that sin. We begin questioning the truth of Scripture, or we begin twisting the Scripture to our own liking. We begin making up our own morality, and as a result, then, our lives begin falling apart, all because we did not put on the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness, and we're not guarding our hearts, our vital organs, with righteousness. Um, again, just as a caveat this morning, if you don't have a church background or anything, I'm not saying that uh, God wants, you, wants to keep you from having fun or enjoying life. God wants to keep life from crushing you, right? God wants to keep you from crushing yourself. God wants you to be freed from destroying yourself by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, Paul says that on our feet, we should have the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Again, these things seem counter to, to my, th- I, w- I wouldn't have think that, the gospel is in my shoes. You know, like why? I would think the gospel's like the sword, right? Like, like I, I, do, I wage war using the gospel, but he says that the readiness comes from the gospel of peace on our feet. This is really interesting. You know, in today, today's sort of uh, battlefield analogy, we wage war with like drones and satellites and MRAP uh, personnel carriers, and right? Like it's a very technological sort of removed sort of way, but back then, and even prior to World War I in our, in our day, um, the single, maybe the single most important dimension of warfare was marching. Anybody been in the military? 
No, no military. Oh, we got military. Did you rock a lot? Yes, thank you, right? And, um, you know, in the ancient world, armies had things like elephants, if you, if you know how Hannibal conquered places. They had ships and, and, and stuff like that. But for the most part, an effective, effective army in the ancient world had to rely on what they called foot soldiers, people that would march. And so if the protection for your feet was inadequate, your army could not carry out its mission. Um, even in modern times, again, if you've been in the military or ROTC, or even if you're like an avid Ashevillian hiker, you know that your feet are life. If your feet are gone, you are gone on a long trek. Are they not? You get blisters on your feet, done. Done on a hike, right? Not to mention war. Uh, one of the people that I, I read a lot and benefited from in this study was R.C. Sproul, and he gave a great illustration for this. He says, related to this passage even, he says, I remember during the Korean conflict in 1950 and 51, seeing vivid photographs of severe cases of frostbite which were incurred by American foot soldiers in Korea. One of the problems that the American combat soldier experienced in the Korean conflict was due to the climate of those particular zones. The areas were so damp that when the temperature lowered, wet shoes froze. Next, the feet froze. Hence the problem that the soldiers had to deal with in the battle was not the guns of the enemy, but their own inadequate clothing. What Paul says we are to use for the covering of our feet if we are going to remain mobile and adroit in our activity is the gospel of peace. This has its roots in ancient imagery. Now remember, the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, um, if we know... If we know that, there's nothing that shakes us in time of turmoil and in trouble. But you know that if you've been in a time of turmoil and trouble, there's nothing that shakes you like the unknown. Have you ever faced a time of unknown in your life? You're worried like, I, I don't know what's coming. My, my loved one is facing this. I am facing this. I don't know what the future holds. I certainly don't have peace. And Paul is saying what gives us peace is the preparation of the gospel. Uh, we begin, when we don't have peace, we don't have the truth of the gospel, we may begin to question in times of the unknown, does God really love me? If he did, maybe he'd share his plan with me because this certainly doesn't make sense to me right now. We might begin to question if he really can deliver us from this thing that we're facing or if he wants to even. Or we even begin to question if we're really his. Does God, does God love me? I mean, do I really belong? To, is this what life looks like for his children? In a nutshell, we forget the gospel. And when I say gospel, I mean the good news about Jesus. And that, that good news is that God reconciled us to himself out of his own love for us. He reached us. He saved us. We have a reminder of it here every week. He saved us. We did not rescue ourselves from judgment. He rescued us. He is faithful to his promise. He will never leave. He will never forsake. That's not what he does. So when we're reminded of what Jesus did for us in the past, it can hold us in the present. And for the unknown future, it can hold us in that too. Because God's love for us is proven once and for all with Jesus on the cross. Well, maybe, maybe you can tell then why Paul refers this, 
to this as the gospel of peace. Knowing the truth of God and our position before him through Jesus, that we are secure in him, that he never leaves, he never forsakes, he's not like so many earthly fathers, he does not leave. That brings peace, men. Brings peace, especially in a time of spiritual warfare. Um, We must preach the gospel to ourselves. Remind ourselves of the gospel. We must preach the gospel to one. If you don't preach the gospel to anybody else, preach it to me because I need it. Right? I need to be reminded of the gospel. Um, so next uh, ties into kind of a, a similar theme. We need to, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Uh, you know, one of the uh, features of a Roman army was a phalanx. And it was like a close quarter battle sort of thing. And their, their shields, you may think of uh, those times like a little round shield like they had on Gladiator or whatever, but it wasn't like that. It was like a, they could be like six feet tall, like three feet wide shield. And so when they would go into battle, they would click those shields side by side together. It was like a wall. It was like impenetrable. Um, and they would use those, and they, they would hold them out in front of them, not just to protect themselves, but they used it to gain ground, right? You see police with, like, riot shields, they do the same thing. It's a phalanx. It's to gain ground so that if rocks are thrown, arrows come being shot, from them, uh, shot at them, they have protection. And then as they approach, they got closer. A lot of times fire arrows would be shot down uh, from, from the top, and so they would move those big shields over their heads, and they would walk under. So they were protected on all sides, wherever they needed to go, and to protect their heads that way. And the shield that protects us, it says in verse 16, is the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, they would, they would fire down torch arrows from parapets or whatever you call those things. Uh, they, they would fire, fire them down. And in some ways, um, obviously, it would set the soldier's clothes on fire, right? He'd be stabbed and set his clothes on fire. That's bad enough, physical injury. But it's also psychological warfare. You see your buddy over here burning to death. It's, it's play, it play, plays in the mind, psychological warfare. You know, the, the analogy here is that the enemy just doesn't, want, want, doesn't just want to hurt you uh, physically and see you... Uh, see you uh, dragged down, but he wants to damage us psychologically and emotionally. That's why biblical faith simply means trusting in what we know to be true. That's what faith is. This is not a blind leap. It's trusting what I know. And what I know can protect my mind from what I don't know, right? It's important. So when we, the uh, psychological warfare of the enemy comes our way, we raise our shield of faith. I'm, I'm reminded that of what I know to be true, of the Jesus in whom I trust. And we don't let our present, hear this, don't let our present struggle make us doubt or redefine reality. Don't let our present struggle make us doubt or redefine reality. We trust the God who is actually there and don't doubt in the dark what we learned in the light. You're walking through life, you're learning things, you're growing in, in your, your knowledge of the Scriptures, you're growing in your discipleship with Jesus, and life hits you and it feels like the lights are turned out. Don't start doubting things that you learned when you're in your sound mind. Now you're, all, you got, you're feeling some kind of way, you're all in your emotions, life is going crazy, and I'm starting to doubt what I learned back there. Don't do that. 
right? That, that's from the enemy. That's psychological warfare. Um, having the, the shield of faith guards our peace. Again, I want you to hear from R.C. Sproul on this. He says, one of the most formidable weapons of Satan is the weapon of accusation. Christian, please listen. Satan accuses believers of their sin and their unworthiness to belong to the kingdom of God. He does this not to lead them to repentance, but to lead them to despair so that they will be paralyzed and not able to function effectively as Christians. The only answer we have to these attacks of Satan against our integrity is that we are justified by faith. Our saving faith in Christ is the shield that protects us from the accusations of the enemy. If Satan comes to you and says you're a sinner, he's right. You understand that? But he's telling you a half-truth. He's not going to remind you of the part of it. Yeah, you're a sinner, but you've been made righteous by Jesus. Is you're accounted righteous before God the Father because of the debt that Jesus paid. He took your, the guilt of your sin right here. He's paid for that. Right? Satan's not going to remind you of that. Right? So we must preach the gospel to ourselves. And then Paul says in verse 17 that we need to take on the helmet of salvation. We've got to, we've got to protect our, our, our domes. I'm here to tell you right, personally that um, the right blow to the head can take you out. It can take you down. Um, there's a reason that bikers call helmets a brain bucket. Right? It protects the brain protects the brain. It's the most vital organ we have. It's the control center for the rest of our bodies. Um, again, this physical reality has a, has a spiritual metaphor that, that's given here. When Satan gets a hold of your thinking, man, he can, he can win the battle in a hurry. When he gets a hold of your thinking. I just want to make an obvious point here. And if, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're here today and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're watching or listening online, you're not a follower of Jesus. I just want to, this may be an obvious point, but I want you to hear me. If Jesus is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. If you're not saved by Him, you're not saved at all. If you're not saved, you simply do not have the helmet of salvation. If you do not have the helmet of salvation, then the most vital part of your life, the thoughts in your very mind, are susceptible, subject to any attack that the enemy wants to give. You see how that works? You follow the math with me? You're a casualty waiting to happen because you're missing the single most vital component of discernment in the battle of this uh, spiritual war that we're in. I just want to tell you, run to Jesus. Right? Only Jesus um, can protect your mind from the lies of the enemy and the lies that you uh, tell yourself. Um, but he will guard you. He will guard you. Finally, Paul tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, this, here's, the, here's, the pri- here's the primary offensive weapon. And so I just want to ask you, uh, soldiers, <laughs> how are you with the sword? This is the only weapon that's listed here, right? The only offensive weapon that we have how are you with it? Just be honest with yourself. If this is the weapon I have to fight this spiritual battle that's raging inside here, raging out there, raging in the lives and, and minds and hearts of my, my friends, neighbors, loved ones, coworkers, how am I with it? This is, my, this is my weapon. This is it. This is what I got. 
how are you with it? You know, uh, Jesus himself used this weapon. Right? Remember when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? Now, Jesus is God. He could have just said, get out, <laughs> right? He chose not to do that. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but I'm guessing at least one reason why could be that he was giving us a pattern to follow because we can't, we, we're not God. I, I, I don't rule over Satan. God rules over Satan, but I do have a sword. I have the same sword that Jesus used in his battle against Satan. And so it's the, it's the weapon. So let, again, let me ask you, why would you go off into battle without a sword? Without the sword? Are, are, are you trained in it? I don't want us to practice reading our Bibles. I want us to train in the Bible. You realize that soldiers don't practice? Because war is not a sport. They train. There's a big difference. And so I would encourage you to train with your sword. Do you see the shift in mindset? Do you see the difference there? So because we're in a time of spiritual war, there are certain pieces of armor that we got to have. And Paul also tells us, in the church of Ephesus here, what kind of war they're in. Just look quickly with me at the warrior's battle. This is the kind of war that we're in. Uh, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of the heavenly places. Again, I don't need to rehash this, but this is, this is demonic activity. The, the lies in our culture, the false notions about who God is and about who you are, Paul describes elsewhere as doctrines of demons. That's in 1 Timothy 1.4. I was going to put it up for you, but you can, you can write it down, 1 Timothy 1.4. So in light of this kind of battle, uh, we've got weapons to fight with. Here's a couple other verses that you can write down. Again, we won't, we won't get into all of it today, but we've learned on Tuesday nights that we've got certain um, things that we can fight with. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 will tell you um, that we battle in ideas. Strongholds of the enemy in the spiritual warfare are battles of ideas. Battles of ideas. So let me close. The warrior's arm, if you're following along in your weekly, verse 18. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Let me tell you again, keep alert <laughs> with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. This is, this is talking about prayer and what we have. Uh, warfare is not an individual thing. It's an army thing. Don't go into war by yourself. You'll be a casualty. You, say, you hear people say, well, you know, I follow Jesus, but the whole church thing, man, I don't know. They've forgotten or aren't aware that we're in a, we're in a war. Don't fight a war by yourself. There's no, why, why? Why would you do that? Um, make prayer supplication for the saints. Um, again, uh, if you don't have anybody to pray for, pray for me. Pray for Pastor James. We, we need it. I guarantee you need it too. We pray, we pray for you as well. Let's link arms together. Well, what is all this for? Look at verse 19. Why do we do this? Why do we pray for one another with alertness and perseverance and in the Spirit? Paul says, also for me, that the words may give, be given to me 
and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says it's all for the glory of God. It's for the sake of the gospel, not for my sake. God has chosen to give his glory through the gospel by reconciling people to himself. So that's what it's all about. That's what the spiritual warfare is. Look at verse 23, the warrior's desire. The warrior's desire, verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love that is corruptible, that is incorruptible. Listen, the battle's long. It's hard. Um, It's difficult. It's a lifetime deployment, isn't it? Um, But the reward is incorruptible. It's the love of Jesus himself. Jesus offers to give you himself as the reward. So the question is, is it worth it? Is he worth it? I think he is. And he says he will give us peace. He will give us our peace. I want to close with two uh, passages. 1 Corinthians 15. Keep these in, in heart as you face the battle. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then Deuteronomy 20, I want to encourage you, just as God encouraged the Hebrews when they were leaving the Exodus. He says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priests shall come forward and speak to the people, and they shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart be faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. We're not Israel, but he's the Lord. He's the same Lord. 